Well, welcome again. It's good to have you here for uh, this part of our series. As uh, some of you may be aware, pardon me, we're in, I guess we can't say the middle of a series anymore. We're, we're somewhat through a series, series of questions that uh, hopefully will help us figure out uh, our vision forward, what we, what we aim to do, what we plan to do, what we hope God will do, and uh, how you'll be a part of that. And so we've been asking uh, the first question, do you want me here? Is assuming that people who walk into this church, maybe it's you who walks into this church regularly and ask the question, do you actually want me here as part of the Boulder Church? Then the second question is, do you love me? Third question is, is the Lord with you? Is the Lord with us? And then the fourth question that we're working on now, Jeff did last week part one, I'm working on part two, which is, do you have a purpose? When someone comes into this space, they ask the question, do you have a purpose? What do we have to say to that question? And that's something that we'll wrestle with today. Um, Within this, uh, Jeff, last week, just to give a quick recap of of where he was, in case you need a refresher, in case you didn't hear it, uh, we talked about the two churches in Revelation. And Jeff begged the question, which of these two do we most resemble? Do we resemble the church in Sardis? Do we, remember, uh, do we resemble the church in Philadelphia? Are we the church that is alive but is dead? Or are we the church where God has planted before us an open door and an invitation to walk through? And the big question is, what is the Lord saying to this church? And if the Lord is speaking to this church, are we listening and are we receiving that message? And so from that, Jeff sets it up with three pieces to the puzzle. Our goal in all of this to figure out whether or not we have a purpose, to use that purpose, to influence other people with that purpose is to step one, to love one another. Step two, to have powerful corporate worship. And step three, receive the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we got from you when we looked at the pulse check questionnaires. That's the, the, the pieces that we were able to cull. And then Jeff said this. He said, uh, Jay's going to come up next week, which is this week, and he's going to answer all of the questions. And he's going to tell us what to do next. And we're going to answer the question of how this week. And so I start with this. Uh, I am the associate pastor of this church. I recognize that much. And I also should not make a habit of staking a claim against the senior pastor. But Jeff was dead wrong. And I won't make a habit of doing that. Because here's the thing, I don't know how much I can add. I really don't. But the good news in all of it is I definitely know somebody who does. And so before we consult with them, let's pray together as we start this morning. Father God, uh, we want to hear your voice today. We want to hear your word. We want to hear you come through clearly. Because God, we're asking these big questions. And we know that they come with painful, difficult answers And so God, walk with us through this. Walk side by side, walk in front, walk behind. Let us know that you are present in these moments because as we beg the question of whether or not we have purpose, God, we know that the answer comes from you. So reveal that to us today. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, I don't know the answer, but I can tell you who has the answer. The answer is written in a book that's directly in front of you. I don't know if that came through clearly. The answer is in a book that's directly in front of you. If you don't already have one in front of you, change that real quick. Because we're going to the book of Ephesians. 
The person I think has the answer is Paul. I think the answer to all of these questions will be answered in in the writings of Paul. So we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. We're going to start in chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 1. All right? So in this section, we're going to go through in pieces, in chunks, but we'll definitely start there. So in Ephesians, what we're going to do is try and beg the question of the Bible, because here's the other piece. The, The piece that's really hard about all of this is that when I went through and I said to myself, where do I find the Boulder Church in Scripture? Turns out we weren't included. We just weren't around early enough for them to have an influence here. So we have to use other sections of Scripture to try and see where we sit within it. So Ephesians 4, starting at verse 1, it says, I, Paul, therefore a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And I can even pause it there. We can just stop at verse 7. Ultimately, if we're trying to find the question here in the Boulder Church, do we have a purpose? How do we know that we're fulfilling the calling that God has given to us? Paul breaks it down right here, and he does it in seven straight verses. Paul says, lead a worthy life, be humble, be gentle, be patient, live love. If I can add a little bit of an edit there. Work hard to be peacefully united in the spirit. Keep the number one thing at the number one thing. Serve the church in a manner befitting your skills and your spiritual gifts. Make disciples and be mature in your faith. That's it. That's the whole game. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and uh, we'll finish today. No? Okay, Jeff says I have to keep going. So um, we'll break that down. But can I make one thing clear? That really is it. If you heard nothing else today, hear that part. Paul nailed it on the first try. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7. Do you have a purpose? Do you see yourself fitting into the first seven verses of the letter to the Ephesians? If the answer is yes, good to go. But we'll break it down some more. We'll do some more stuff. Jeff says I got to earn my keep and stay up here a little bit longer, which is fine. So let's, uh, let's, walk, with, let's walk with Paul a little bit further. I want to stay in Ephesians 4. Let's go. Uh, we'll kind of traipse around some pieces here because Ephesians, uh, in as much as it is helpful. There's some edits here, which I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on. There are edits that you'll see in brackets. So does everybody, I'm using the Bible that you have directly in front of you. I'm on page uh, 1,161. When you get to this section of uh, verse 8, it says, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Does everybody have brackets or parentheses directly below that? Verse Nine, yes, to whoever asked that question. In verse nine, you've got these brackets. And the brackets are really interesting because they're not necessarily Paul's notes. They're some scribe's notes that were in the margins of a previous version, and they got added in, which is basically to say, like, here's what Paul is saying. And then somebody's like, yeah, but Paul, Paul's, here's what Paul's actually saying. Like, what he meant by ascension is that, you know, here, let's just go into the theological implications really quick. 
You can read that if you need to. It's not as important to have the theological implications of ascension here, but we will kick down to verses 15 and 16. It says, rather speaking truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and is held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And those are the pieces that really key into us as a church, key into us as a purpose-driven people. Um, In speaking truth and love, we must find a way to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so in your own personal journey, you can grow, but also as a body, the idea is not just for you to grow, it's for us to grow in your growth. And so we all grow together. So if you're begging the question, what is the purpose of the church in Ephesus? Paul says your job is to grow into Christ. How you do it, to go back to Jeff's piece, which is we're going to answer these questions today. Paul says how, speak truth and love. Boil that all the way down to one thing. Understand who God is and then use that truth that God is love to speak that truth to others in love. And here's good news for us as we try to apply ourselves into the story, looking at the, the church in Ephesus. The good news is we're not there yet, which is why we still have room to think, which is why we still have the question of Sardis versus Philadelphia. There's still time, and Paul even shows there is time in their story as well. There's time for us to move. There's time for us to grow up. There is still time for us to speak, which leads me to believe we're closer to the church in Philadelphia, which means there's an open door. We just haven't walked through it yet. Now, let's nerd out for a minute in the Greek, because this gets super exciting when you read it differently. And this is not to say Clark. I lost where Clark went. Clark was here somewhere. Um, Clark did not read this. There you are, Clark. Thanks for waving your hand. I, don't, I look over here for you. Didn't see you. Got really nervous. Um, the tone in Paul's writing, especially in the Greek, switches up how we read it today as well. I'm going to give you a couple of terms. Paul speaks often in the active voice. He uses the imperative mood, and he uses infinitive verbs. And I'll break down all of these. But he does so in light of peppering in the aorist form of truths, which serve as the command that Paul levies. Now, that was a lot, but like I said, we're going we're gonna to break this down, and we'll do it line by line. So we'll start in Ephesians 4. We'll start at the beginning. I, therefore, a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy to the calling which you have been called. Urge. This is that imperative. When you give somebody something that's not an option, it's something I want you to do. Do this thing. I urge you to, and then whatever follows afterward. It's the idea that we are commanded in the present, active, indicative tense. Do this thing now. So I am urging you today to do this next piece. And the next piece we know is walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. You is really important. So urge you is in the plural. So it's not talking to me. It is talking to you people. I urge you people who are reading this actively right now, infinitive verb, to walk, which is to act in this way whenever you get to it. If you are not currently active in your walk in a manner that is befitting of your calling, 
I am urging you now to walk in its infinitive form moving forward. And then this last piece, in a manner worthy of the calling, which is this how, this is the method, this is the means by which you walk. When you walk, don't simply walk, do it in this way. And now we get to the aorist, this identity of called. I therefore urge you people to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That call, also plural, not singular, it's for all of us, and it's in the aorist form. And the aorist here is a simple occurrence of an action without reference to its completion. So in the aorist form, it's saying this is not yet done, but it's also completed due to the fact that it has happened in the past, which is super important for us reading it here. This is saying you, the church in Ephesus, you, the church in Boulder, in the past have been called, in the present are being called, in the future will continue to be called. Boulder Church, you are forever called to walk in a manner befitting of the calling to which you have and were and will continue to be called. God called this church a long time ago. We know that from Jeff's history lesson last week of where we have been. God is also not done with that calling, and he is calling us now. Boulder Church, God will continue to call for us again. And then he talks about what we're being called into. We're not just simply walking for the sake of walking. We're walking in a specific direction, and he hits a bunch of ones. We're here for the one body, the one spirit, the one hope, the one Lord, the one faith, the one baptism, the one God, the one Father of all, over all, through all, and in all. We are heading towards this unity. And that unity will help us to understand and focus on that calling. We're called to come together. And when we come together, it's what we do with that time together that will help us grow, not just individually, but also corporately. But he doesn't just leave it at the corporate. Like I showed in verses 15 and 16, he then goes to the singular. So as he finishes in 15 and 16, we're to grow up in every way from whom the one body joined and held together with every joint. He's not talking about the corporate. He's talking about the individual pieces. You are one part of that body, and that body moves as one, but also moves independently. And this one atmosphere we see move to the singular, but grace was given to each one of us. So inasmuch as you are part of this corporate body, grace was actually handed to you. And just to you, but also to you, and to you, and to you, and to you. So also, inasmuch as Boulder Church has been called, recognize that you are seen by God. You, one of us sitting here, watching at home live, watching this six weeks from now, when you're watching it from the YouTube archive, you are a part of this. You are seen by God. You are loved. You are called. You have been given grace, and you are a part of this body. And so if you are counted in this body, and you are, so says Paul, then we face the question of, do you have a purpose the answer is actually dependent upon your purpose. Because we as a body have to figure out when somebody asks us corporately, what is our purpose? The question for us as a church is, who do you say that we are? Who do you say that I am as a member of this church? This is something Jesus understood inherently. 
He talks with Peter in the book of Matthew. He does it in chapter 16, verses 13 through 19. Begs the question to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? To which they say, well, they think you're John the Baptist. They say you might be Elijah. Maybe you're Jeremiah. You could just be one of the prophets. And then Jesus says, not this corporate purpose. What do the people say about me? My question, more importantly, is what do you say about me? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers the question by saying, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And because of this, Jesus tells Peter who he knows who Peter is. And not only that, gives Peter a purpose. This is what Jesus says back to Peter in Matthew. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I know exactly who you are, Peter. I know exactly what you're here to do. You're going to build the church, and it's going to be the foundation which it stands on is your legacy. And then what's really nuts about this story is that Jesus continues, and he says to the disciples, it says in a stern manner, don't tell anybody what we talked about here, which is always a weird thing for Jesus to do. He always gives you like this really heavy piece where it's like, this is for you, but don't tell anybody. It's like, why? That would be so cool to hear that story. Like somebody comes in, and like I was blind 20 minutes ago, and I can tell you how many fingers you're holding up now. How'd that happen? Can't tell you. Can't tell you. It's told not to say. Really? Because that feels like the best part. That feels like the most important piece. But Jesus does this really intentionally here. He says it in verse 17. It says, flesh and blood. This is before he tells him not to say anything. It says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. So Jesus is not going back on this piece. Peter answers the question, you are the Messiah, the son of the one true God. Don't tell anybody because then what happens? Then it's Peter telling them who God is. It's Peter explaining who Jesus is. It's not an authentic conversion. And so God says, keep this to yourself because you get it, but I want them to get it the way you got it, not just the way you told them to get it. And so that piece is Peter's story. That is not our story, but it still gives us the takeaway of it matters what you say when you're asked to give your testimony. It matters what you do when you're asked to act out in faith. And it matters what your purpose is to the purpose of the church. And so when we ask the question, what is your purpose, know that it helps us build this culture here. The community within a church defines the culture. The culture dictates the potential of that purpose. And the purpose then is kingdom driven or it isn't. And we are the kingdom. And so we have to help build that purpose up. Think about any church that you've ever seen that's been marred by scandal. Think about Carl Lentz and uh, Hillsong East Coast. What do you know about Hillsong's doctrines? What do you know about Carl Lentz? Nothing? Maybe that's too close, too new. Hopefully that, I don't, I don't mean this to slander anybody who's a part of it, but typically you know the story of Carl Lentz and his fall from grace. What do you know about the, the, the doctrines of the Catholic Church? Somewhat, I see some 
maybe recovering Catholics who, yeah, yeah, I know what's up with that. What do you know about the uh, clergy abuse that came from the Catholic Church? More about that or less about that than their doctrines? Westboro Baptist Church, do anybody know the doctrines of Westboro Baptist? What their statements of belief are? No? What do you think of when I say Westboro Baptist Church? Think about some signs with some pretty heavy words on them. The people define the culture. The culture defines the church atmosphere. You are the church. You are the kingdom. What you do matters within this. The attitude and the behavior of a social group defines what that social group is about. And so what we do is what we'll be known for. How we treat people will be our legacy. And our purpose is shaped by the culture here at the Boulder Church. Now, Jeff mentioned last week that we had the results of the Pulse questionnaire. We have these three things. Love one another, powerful corporate worship, and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And studying for this sermon, I want to simplify that a little bit. Not to delete any of the levels, but to break it down a little bit further. Because ultimately, I think that if we accomplish the first one, the other two are byproducts. And so if we can accomplish the goal of loving one another, the identity of powerful corporate worship kind of comes with the package. If we actually start to love one another and we come together corporately and that goal is to worship, it's going to be powerful. And in those moments, if we find ourselves doing something powerful within this identity of corporate worship, guess what? That's where the Holy Spirit moves. We've seen it over and over and over again in our time in the book of Acts. This is where the Holy Spirit arrives. So let's simplify it. Let's get down to very basic bones. Let's figure out in this time how to love one another. How do we do what we say we do when we say live love? Because ultimately love is very tricky. There is not room for gray area with love that is very black or white. You either love it or you don't. You either love me or you don't. There is no gray area in between because love with reservations isn't actually love. It's something else. It can be varying levels of good things, but it isn't always love. It's a varying degree of something else. Love in its purest form is one of the most genuine things you can give. But the problem is we're not always genuine. And we're not always pure. And because of that, our love goes from something that is black or white into these shades of gray. And someone who is seeking to find the answer to the question, do you love me, isn't looking for gray love. They're looking for you love me or you don't because I need an answer to that before I make a decision of whether or not to stay. Love is the tie that binds us together to make us the one body that Paul talks about in Ephesians. Love is the reason why community lasts and why community grows. Love is the reason why we long to be reunited after being separated for so long. Love like this, I think, is better used in a term in Greek with less specifics this time and with less tenses and moods, I want to introduce you to a word I think I've already used here before. That word is koinonia. What's that word? Koinonia. Koinonia means fellowship. Koinonia is defined as community, but it is not just simple fellowship. The identity of fellowship within koinonia is sharing of what one has in anything. To achieve koinonia, all of you has to be given as an offering to me, in this community, and in return, all of me 
is then given to you. It's community, but it's far more intimate community. And I mean intimate in the closeness of it, not anything further. Koinonia is definitely a communal, fraternal thing. Personal community in koinonia is deeper than that which we have in our friendships. Koinonia is, I think, the closest term to describe the, the relationship that is found between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are three distinct things, and yet they are entirely all in the same. The only way for them to be in trinity with one another is for them to be in community as koinonia in one another. In the spirit moves, so does the son. As the son speaks, so says the father. Over and over again, we see this. They are constantly giving in to one another so that they are united in this one body. This idea of what Paul speaks about here. In committing ourselves to this type of fellowship, we begin to see what kingdom actually is like. What kingdom is designed to be? What we are called to be when we walk in the manner befitting of the calling God has given us. Paul points to this culture in Philippians 2. You can find it in verse 1 through 5. He says there, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any sharing, and pause, that's the word koinonia in Greek. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any koinonia in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourself. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others, and let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Paul's consistent over and over again. Doesn't matter if we're talking to the people of Philippi. Doesn't mean if we're talking to the church at Ephesus. Be of one mind, one Center yourself there and build that relationship. If you want to continue being this church that I've called you to be, be this church in the following manner. Be koinonia. Be fellowship in the truest sense. Give to one another. Think of them before you think of yourself. And the best part is if I think of you, Jackie, before I think of myself and you're playing by the same rules, if I take care of Jackie fully, guess what Jackie's going to do? She's going to take care of me. Because if I lift her up, she will have a better vantage point to then lift other people up or me up when I start to stumble. It's this idea of us all going together. We're either growing together or we're not. We're either building something together or we're not. You either love me or you don't. And fellowship like this, be clear, takes work. And it takes hard work. Community like this takes honesty. And not just honesty, it's brutal honesty. Intimacy like this takes authenticity, genuine authenticity. Support like this takes willing persistence. Solidarity takes a daily faith. And love like this, in Paul's definition, takes everything you have. Everything. And to be clear, not everybody is ready for that. Not everybody is ready for us to come at this fully. Not everybody is ready to take this on entirely. Michael's got a couple of small pictures. I think I've done this once before, but I, I think it begs returning to. If I told you the dot in the middle was God, and I told you the dots that are around it are people, who is closest to God? Anybody? You can just point to it. That one. Yeah, good. You got that one right. Yeah, good. 
Everybody sees it on this side? See that one? Good. Who's the furthest from God? That one. Right. Thanks. Emmanuel got it. Over here. Elijah, you got it? That one? Some of them seem like they're kind of equidistant. That's usually how we play this game. We usually play this as, as we start to build this out, we try and figure out who's closest to God and those people will help the way that are furthest to God to get closer to God, to get closer to where they are. That's usually how we play this. This is the body conversation. This is not koinonia because the reality is this is not real life. This is a false sense of understanding of life because in reality, if Michael will show that next slide, this is life. Those dots are never not moving. They are constantly in motion. And so if you can see there's a dot and then like at the end of the line looks like a smaller dot. If you were on close or on top of it, that would just be the arrow pointing. But if you look at the movement now, now tell me which one's closer. It's harder to tell because unfortunately this is a still photo, but there is movement in this picture. The person who seemed like they were the closest to God is moving which direction? Away. And the person who you thought was furthest away from God is moving which direction? Closer. Not every one of us is going to start from our position that is close to God. And thank God, that is not a requirement. God makes that very clear to us. You are a part of the body. You're an important part of the body. And your part of the body may have a bit of stunted growth. Your goal is not to pretend to be where everybody else is. Your job is to just orient yourself towards me and to walk in a manner befitting of the calling to which I have called you. Because in this setting, it is far less important where you start than the direction in which you're heading. Not everyone has the energy to start moving very quickly in a certain direction. Some of you may just have the energy to stop moving away from God. That's a really good place to start. Some of you may just have the energy to do a, an about face, if I'm borrowing Pathfinder terms for a moment, and just make that turn and face God, but I don't know that I want to walk in that direction yet. And maybe the reason why is you don't know your purpose yet. You don't know whether or not this is a safe place. You don't know whether or not the Lord is with you. But maybe, just maybe, you can make the spin and just face God and see what that does. Your reality is if you don't have the ability to give all of yourself, but you only have some of yourself to give, start there. Just give what you can and see what comes of it. Not everybody's ready to be fully honest and truly transparent at the moment because maybe, just maybe, you have not been true to yourself. You're not willing to be transparent. Start by being honest about that. Just be honest with yourself. I'm not really who I am on the inside to the people on the outside. Start there. Not everybody is capable of being as authentic as they want to be. Start by bringing out one thing about yourself that is true and let people know about it. Let people know this is who I am and see what that does. You don't have to give all of yourself. Just be true about that one thing. Maybe you're not ready to be fully committed to a persistent willingness. Try saying yes to one thing that you feel like God is calling to this week. Just do one thing, not all the things, but just see what you do that you would otherwise say no to when you say yes. Maybe daily faith is beyond your grasp. Try being faithful to one thing. Try to say, I want to be faithful to this and see what happens. Because the only way we will ever be one body is if we take full account and we're brutally honest about the parts of it. 
Not everything in this body is fully grown, and that's okay. But we should be honest about that. Because if we keep coming to church, and we keep going to the places that we're from, and we keep playing pretend, and we dress it up, and we hide our stunted growth, we will never actually grow. Because you'll play the part not realizing how much you need to grow into it. We are better together than we are apart. And believe it or not, the real you is infinitely more valuable than the version of you that you think others want to see in you. The reality is we want to love each other better. And to love you fully, you have to fully be yourself, whatever that means. Whatever that means, we are this body together. So the greatest blessing this church can offer you in its purpose is to join you, the real you, in the kingdom that we together are building here. To achieve, achieve it, it's going to take some work. It's going to take some honesty. And we're going to have to wrestle with some stuff. We're going to have to wrestle to get that blessing that this church deserves, that you deserve. And we need to wrestle like Jacob did on the bank of the Jabbok. As Clark read as we begin in our reflection, we read Genesis 32, 22 to 31. I'm going to read it again. It says, the same night he arose and took his two wives. Let's not stop there. Let's just move past that book of Genesis. Everybody's cool with that? Good. His two female servants, just reading scripture. Let's move past it. His 11 children, good for him, and crossed the fort of the Javik. He took them and sent across the stream. So he took him and his stuff and everything he had. And here it says in verse 24, Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And so Jacob called that place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed limping because of his hip. Jacob wrestled, and he wrestled hard. He wrestled all night. He was there on the banks, and he didn't stop until he had his blessing. And that's something I think Boulder Church, we need to do as well. We need to wrestle with what our identity is and what our purpose is. And in order to do that, it's going to take a battle. It's going to take a battle that we're going to have to work through daily, that we're going to need to be persistent on. Jacob fought to get to the place that he felt he needed to go. And on the other side of it, he came up with a new name. He came up with a new perspective. He came out with new blessings. He also came out with new joint pain. That may happen. That may be a part of this. That may be a part of your journey. But it took a battle to get there. And the question now is, what battle do you need to face this week? We're facing a battle here in this kingdom that we're building of what our purpose is. The question is, what's the battle you're facing? And what blessing are you in need of that's on the other side of that battle? What's in the way of you reaching it? And what are you willing to do to get there? Because on the other side of it, here's what's guaranteed. 
your purpose will be revealed to you in a more real and tangible way if you get the thing that's blocking you from it out of that position. Everyone's battle is different. Everyone's blessing will be distinct. And this week, I'm praying that you find your opportunity to wrestle with the obstacles in your life. And as you do, know you're not alone in struggling. For me, I thought my battle was a heart attack. I thought for sure. If I drop from this and I come back up, that's the battle. My blessing will be on the other side. I hate to report. I think I was wrong. I don't know that that was the battle. Because it turns out, I think it was only half the battle. I have learned that even with you wrestle, when you wrestle with your physical health, there is a problem with your mental health that can come with it. And I'll tell you this, being open and honest and vulnerable with you, I am wrestling with a figure in the darkness, and it's my mental health. But the good news is, therapy helps. It's a real thing, and I got an awesome therapist who's walking me through it now. And the good thing is, that darkness, that thing I'm fighting in the dark, it's a tag team match, and he doesn't have a partner. And so it means we're winning this battle faster. I'm finding now that as I share my struggles honestly, and I do it openly, the blessings get closer and closer. So pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you. We will get through this together. But just like Paul says in Ephesians, this is your call. Right now, today, active, present, not yet complete. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called. Come to terms with the notion of what it means to be uniquely you. You're called to grow into your purpose, to love and to be loved. I want you to take some time to think about this. Reflect on this. We're going to sing a couple of songs together. And I want you to reflect on these things as we go through. We're going to come back up and finish out after this, and we'll do the blessing. But I want you to reflect on your own personal story. What's God calling you to do? And how do you see yourself walking to fight whatever it is that's in the dark that's before you? Amen. As we stand here now, this is where we're going to leave you this week, friends. We're going to leave you at the river's edge understanding that you go with a prayer in hopes that you face the giants that are before you, knowing that in the dark night of the soul, dawn will break. In your greatest time of need, the sun will come up. And as it does, grace and forgiveness await us all. A place is already being set at that communion table, a place that we're going to set physically next week here we're going to celebrate communion together because that blessing will always come at the end of it. And so put in that work this week, wrestle this week, and know that when you put those things away and you put those things aside, you will be blessed all the more when we take communion together. So we leave you with that. We leave you with this prayer, this understanding that your battle, though difficult, will be worth it. The effort as your purpose begins to take effect and take shape on the other side is worth it. My prayer for you is that you arrive on the other side limping like Israel did. And so as we conclude today, a blessing to unite us all in one body, in one spirit, under one Lord, with one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. May Jesus bless you 
with gentleness and a heart that is tender, with strength against all principalities, with compassion and care for all people, with courage that you will dare to be who you are, with openness, understanding, and respect, and the power to make Jesus all. God bless you.